Blog Talk Radio. We've gotta be the body to rock it like we're never gonna see it again. We are exploding, the world is gonna know it. We rock it like you're never gonna see us again. Come on over. Come on over. Good evening to you, everyone. It is 11 p.m. and Pure Gold is live and on the air for this Tuesday night, January 12th, 2016. Welcome to the show that covers everything and anything and tells it like it is. My name is Joe Pacino. My co-host, as always, is David Gomez. Sir, are you on the air? Yes, I am, sir. Doing good. Just here, relaxing, as it were, getting ready for another awesome, exciting, wonderful, amazing episode of Pure Golden. Folks, as always, if you'd like to be a part of the program, if you'd like to listen in, of course, check us out at puregoldpg.com. But if you'd like to call in, give us a call. Uh, you can try uh, 929-477-2593. Once again, 929-477-2593. Take it away, Joe. Thanks, Dave. Uh, just a quick question before we go with the rundown. Um, on my switchboard here, I don't see that you're called in. How is that any reason why I don't see you? Um, that It shows the both of us as hosts. I don't know why it is. It looks like there's some sort of glitch. But when okay. I called in, um, I called in for my my number, but it shows that it's your number, so it's weird. I don't know. Okay, uh, just wondering. So uh, tonight, for the first time in a long time, ladies and gentlemen, we will have actually a guest on our show, and he'll be uh, joining us momentarily, Nick Nugent, who is a big-time night Rider uh, expert and aficionado uh, growing up as a kid in the 1980s. If you didn't like Knight Rider, then you were a total loser. So we'll definitely <laughs> be talking to him. <laughs> and talk about Knight Rider. And um, ironically enough, um, as I did my pre-work, sir, uh, I found out that he's a wrestling fan, so we could talk some wrestling with him. He says he loves to talk, so uh, I told him that, you know, our producer does like to take breaks here and there, and um, I do need to get to bed once before, you know, before it's 1 a.m., so uh, we'll, we'll see how long we keep him on. But uh, we'll be talking to Nick Nugent. We'll be talking about the Hall of Fame, not only the Baseball Hall of Fame, but the WWE Hall of Fame, as they inducted Which, of their course, first... is more important than the Baseball Hall of Fame, I mean, let's be real. <laughs> yeah, of course, because Coco Beware is in there, so uh, we'll um, be talking about who the first inductee for this year is. So we'll talk about hey, that. You think, we'll the, talk uh, about... you think the board, the board um, you know, wrote these people in, or what do you think, sir? <laughs> I think they will, yes. <laughs> you know, I'm checking out our website, and I think the last time we had uh, a guest... With uh, what? Whew, I'm looking at it here... Uh, I don't know what happened to our website there. Something something happened. Something went bad. Uh, this this thing went like belly up. We spoke to Mike Knox uh, in July. I think that's the last time we had a guest on the show. Then again, that it's also the last time that I updated our website. So who knows? All right. Well, anyway, sir. As I was saying on the rundown, uh, we'll be talking about the Hall of Fame, both wrestling and and baseball. We'll also be talking about some. Uh, football because the, uh, the football players started last week. We'll get some in, some nuggets in there, and I'm sure, sir, we will have um, plenty to talk about in both football, baseball, and uh, Night Rider as soon as Nick Nugent joins us. So, um, you know, ironically enough, I didn't think we'd actually have a lot to talk about this show, but um, 
things have happened in the last seven days, and um, that's good for us. And it's always good to have a guest because it kind of breaks up the show a bit, and um, you know, you get a fresh perspective. Not that we don't, we're not a fresh perspective, but it's always good to have an expert call in. So, oh, of course, uh, expert. I mean, definitely gotta gotta have experts in all the time, sir. I mean, if you don't have experts, what, what do you have? <laughs> exactly. So um, as we wait for Nick Nugent, um, just tell the folks um, that we basically um, started chatting about a few days ago, and um, ironically enough, um, I'm a big-time Knight Rider fan. And Mm -hmm. um, nothing's ironic about that. (laughs) Well, I I guess the irony is that um, I'm trying to segue into the fact that we actually had one of our first guests back on Pure Gold back about six years ago was Anthony Tyler Quinn, right? Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. Uh, I don't know about one of our first guests, but he definitely is uh, is up there. I thought, so in terms yeah, of I thought he was like the fourth or fifth guest, believe it or not. Um, I don't remember. I have to look it up. Okay. So my, the reason why I segue... Yeah, the reason why I segue this is because, you know, William Daniels, who was also the voice of, Night, of Kit on Knight Rider, was also on Boyd Meets World. So my goal is to get Nick Nugent to... Uh, Elaborate on Knight Rider and then hopefully segue into potentially getting some uh, future Hollywood uh, Hollywood guests on our show. Oh, of course. I mean, I'm sure that's exactly what you're, what you're hoping we'll get. And I guess it's always possible, right? I didn't hear you. Sorry about that. I said I guess it's always possible. I mean, you know, we've had uh, 60 years of separation with a lot of people, so so who knows? Yeah, that's true. Um just some nuggets while we were for Nick to actually call in, um, who we'll be calling momentarily. Um, the passing of David Bowie, uh, or Bowie, <laughs> as it will. Yeah. Um, Hold on. Ahead. Are you you're gonna you're really gonna mention a guy whose name you can't even pronounce, and you're gonna say <laughs> the passing of yeah? What's his name? How do you pronounce that? I mean, come on, Joe. Seriously, let, let's just stop it. Embarrassing yourself. Well, the funny thing is, is that I used to bowl with a guy named John Bowie, and I forget that this guy, David Bowie, pronounced it that way, so that's why I said uh, David Bowie, but it is David Bowie, I mean, it is David Bowie, so unfortunately, oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad, this, let's just, can we just move on, please, because you've just totally butchered this whole segment, I mean, this is, this is classic <laughs> pure gold. Hey, so I'm checking out our old episode, sir, did you know, I don't, I'm sure we talked about this when we, when we came back on the air in July, did you know we had a 10-month gap, 10-and-a-half-month gap in between like, shows? How is that even possible? How do we spend almost an entire year not talking? <laughs> how, is that, how, is that even, how does that even make sense? I mean, what, what are you talking about it? Only on pure gold. Uh, what can I tell you? Uh, um, pure scum, I tell you. This, this is a show about everything and anything. Where we, we sure as hell tell like it is, folks. You, you can count on that. You talk about pure scum, though. Did you listen to the last two hours <laughs> on every major channel watching the last president uh the, the last, last day of the union address by President Obama? No, hell no. I, I was laying in bed or playing video games. I was doing something far more important than listening to that wonderful president of ours. <laughs> were you listening? I'm sure you were, because that's the kind of guy you are. Well, I listened, and uh, I was, you know, joking around with, remember, Todd, our update guy, he was online, so we were uh, basically ripping him. I thought the best part of the whole, um, one, it was about an hour speech, uh, you know, his last speech of uh, his presidency um, at the State of the Union was that, the fact that he mentioned the military is the strongest it's ever been, and then they pan to the military like the head of the armed forces, and they're like stone cold, not even clapping, they're not even cheering. They're not, it was just like an awkward moment when the president gave him a cheap pop and uh, they didn't give the cheap <laughs> pop back. 
<laughs> well, because he's a pure heel. He gets that heel heat from everybody, no matter what. Even when he's trying to face cop and they fall flat, he's like Vince McMahon. I mean, Vince comes in, you think he's a face, you're not sure, but then he shows his true colors, and he's uh, anything but a face. That's true. And, sir, with that, we'll get back to other nuggets, but uh, I do want to welcome in the author of the Knight Rider Companion, expert of Knight, all things Knight Rider, Mr. Nick Nugent. Nick, this is Joe from Pure Gold. How are you, sir? How are you doing? Can you hear me okay? We can hear you. Okay, cool, because I'm using a Bluetooth, so uh, okay. good deal. <laughs> Great to be here. Well, welcome to- Welcome to the show, and um, let's get right to it, because I know that you said you like to talk, and uh, we, we did mention uh, earlier that you are a wrestling fan, so we have some wrestling nuggets if you want to get into that, but let's let's talk Knight Rider, because sure. like I said, if you were growing up as a kid in the 1980s, and you didn't watch Knight Rider, and didn't think that was the best show of all time, then you were just a total loser, so um, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about the wow. book that you wrote, The Knight Rider Companion, sir. What made you, what compelled you? to write this book? Um, well, I had the um, fortunate opportunity to meet uh, Mr. Glenn Larson. Uh, I had worked with his son, James, at an um, internship, and he invited me to a movie screening at his father's house. Okay. And uh, it was actually for Serenity. Um, just to briefly explain it, Glenn uh, was able to borrow movies on movie reels for a night, uh, and he'd screen them in his house. He had uh, a movie projection booth built into his living room, and his son would run the projectors. So uh, I figured out when he's when my buddy James's last name was Larson, who his dad was. Okay. And so, you know, long story short, I'm invited to this movie night, and there's Glenn Larson, and he uh, he had a very kind of um, when you first meet him, he had a very strong presence to him that almost felt intimidating. And so I'm, I'm being the total fanboy, you know, meeting him. And I called him like, uh, Hey, uh, Mr. Larson, it's a, it's a honor to meet you. And he's like, well, my friends call me Glenn, so you can call me Glenn. And that uh, helped me relax a bit. Uh, but that night, uh, really changed my life. He, uh, he gave me a signed season one box set that he personalized for me. And that was the very uh, moment that I sort of was uh, reintroduced to the world of Knight Rider because I had grown up watching Knight Rider as a kid, as many other fans have. Um, but I sort of fell out of uh, interest with it for a while. And so here I am meeting the creator of Knight Rider and Battlestar Galactica and Fall Guy and so many great others, 80s properties. And um, through that relationship, uh, I had met other Knight Rider fans and I was given this opportunity to basically publish a book on Knight Rider. Uh, And I had seen the other books that were out there and um, I loved the story and the approach with episode guides and whatnot, but I'm a very visually driven person and I felt like we needed a book that captured this show and the story of Knight Rider from a visual perspective. Okay. So I put together the Knight Rider Companion uh, as a visual guidebook to the original series of mythology, original mythology of Knight Rider, which covered uh, the first 
four seasons and the uh, Knight Rider 2000 made-for-television movie. It, it didn't include the spinoffs or the newer Knight Rider that came out. Right. So uh, let me ask you this. What um, what was your first memory as a kid uh, about Knight Rider? Like, what was it? Was it an episode? Was it the – obviously, Kit was probably – the major focus that you had as a remembering as a kid, but what was the one thing that really uh, made you like the show? Um, my stepdad, Gary bought me a, uh, talking, uh, night 2000 kit car, uh, yes. made by Kenner. Yep. And I love that car to death. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a bit of a tragic story because it was also my first brush with um, the differences between television fantasy and reality. Right. Um, a bully of mine, a bully sought to prove a point and rolled my precious night 2000 car toy car into the middle of traffic and a semi came along and it broke into a million pieces. Um, but as far as Knight Rider goes, uh, I gravitated towards Knight Rider because I was left, a home, left home alone a lot, and my mother um, divorced several times, so I didn't really have a father figure, and Michael Knight became my father figure. Uh, I would be left home a lot, uh, left home alone a lot while she worked. And so I would catch Knight Rider in syndication on TV every day. And as a reward for getting my homework done, I was able to watch the show. So that's really that's really what uh, I gravitated most towards in my earlier um, exposure to Knight Rider. Well, 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 I mean that's that's pretty deep, Nick. I mean, I, I was expecting you to say like Kit talking and uh, you know <laughs> the the jokes between Michael and Kit, but uh, that, that that's that's a very interesting story right there. I mean, the best story that I could come up with is as a nine year old, I remember. My dad talking to my cousin saying the car is in Lank City. If we drive Joe down there, he'll be the best. You know, he'll be the, the happiest kid ever. So I remember driving down to Lank City, and obviously one of the kid cars, not the ones from the, the sets or anything, but the, you know, and David Hasselhoff was supposed to appear too. He didn't appear, but I still have the picture. <laughs> I'm actually looking at the picture of me sitting in the car with Kit. You wow. know, and uh, I and and just watching my. I, I'm just looking at myself how giddy I am. I'm still giddy. Thinking about Night Rider like that, and just that's that's one of my favorite stories. Uh, Dave, well, you, did you have watch me the show in that the... department. I never <laughs> got to see uh, any of the kits on display. I, I got to see the one at Universal, but I never got to sit in the seat because the line was always oh, too wow. long. Oh wow! Wow. Well, it's funny. Let me jump in here for a second, guys. Um, it's funny because Joe has talked nonstop, incessantly, to the point of pure annoyance about how much he loves Night Rider. And I know, uh, you know, one of the questions we have lined up for you is about the newest version of the TV show. Uh, and Joe was just rant, and my next show came out just rant and rave about how, you know, Night Rider, and he couldn't wait, and blah blah blah. And then when the show was canceled, it pretty much ruined his life. Um, can you talk about that for a second, Nick? You know, I know we're kind of going off the the topic of uh, childhood memories because I'm a little bit younger than you guys. I do remember the show, but I don't have any, you know. I don't have any childhood memories. My dad didn't take me down there. You know, I didn't get any reward to watch Night Rider. I just kind of knew about it. So can you tell us a bit about the newest version of the show, why you think that um, that didn't go over well with the fans, whereas the original, of course, was such a huge hit? Um, I think it's because it lacked the three elements that made Night Rider work in the first place. 
which was humor, heart, and um, the team of Michael and Kit needed to be alone because it's a lone crusader. You know, part of being a lone crusader is being alone. I think that the fact that Michael was always under constant surveillance from the rest of the uh, FCC team center, satellite surveillance, something or other, um, kind of hurt it. But it really came down to you didn't have uh, the buddy relationship that needed to be there. Kit was very kind of infantile and robotic kind of like Hal from uh, uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey. So in that sense, it was very hard to connect to him on a human level. He kind of felt more like a tool rather than a partner, you know, a supercar tool. It was very CSI, and Knight Rider was always kind of, uh, it was fun humor, and it had some campiness to it. And, uh, I mean, the car you really didn't know what made the car work. It didn't have like a series of checks and balances. It was just like, well, this week it can do this and next week it can do that. And it had far too many weaknesses compared to the original kit, which had the molecular bonded shell. One of the most memorable traits of the original kit, the Trans Am, uh, is that it, because it had this shell, it could crash through walls and bullets would bounce off the shell and, uh, it could resist fire, and then of course you had turbo boost, where it could jump over barrels and jump over cars, and all these great action sequences. And the newer one, since a lot of the uh, stunt work was CGI, it didn't just—it ha- didn't have that same realistic feeling to it. And ultimately, I think the biggest problem is they didn't have a plan on where they were going to take it. They just kind of made it up as they went along, and. The original Knight Rider had what was called a Knight Rider Bible, which you can find in my book. Uh, they kind of explained the checks, the checks and balances of what Kit can and can't do, what you should and shouldn't show, and how the characters should be approached and how to keep them consistent, you know, uh, as much as possible from one writer to the next. That's all very important if you're going to run an entire series. Um, I know that's kind of a long answer, but it. There's just so many <laughs> things bit. that there's just so many things with that series that they did wrong, but there's also things that they did right. So, you know, there's something oh. for everybody to like or dislike. There's people who love the series. There's people who dislike the series for whatever reason. It's well, still Night Rider for better or for worse. Well, the thing is that you look at a lot of reboots and a lot of these things, and for the most part, I've always felt that reboots kind of lack the the charm and the, what made the originals work. You know, whatever they may be, whatever TV show you can talk about, I mean, there's so many different ones that, that actually escape me at the moment. But every time I hear, you know, there's like this nostalgia kick, and you have, oh, well, you know, this is a great show, so let's make a movie about it. You know, let's make a you know, comedy on this. And it's just kind of like the lacking of originality that you see in Hollywood. It's a lot of the same ideas kind of regurgitated over and over again. And when you take the second iteration, it usually, it usually doesn't work because the original people who were there aren't, you know, the main, the main driving force behind it. I know Joe, his biggest complaint about the show was the fact that, you know, Val Kilmer was the voice of kid and, you know, he loathes Val Kilmer and wants to know why Will Daniels didn't, you know, come out of retirement, I guess, and, and do that, do that show again. As I understand it, um, 
none of the NBC did not want to involve the original cast or crew. Uh, they wanted to make this Night Rider their own show. Um, that's well within their rights. Uh, I can tell you that Glenn was not happy with the direction they took. He was not asked to be involved. Um, they basically covered their legal grounds with him and did their thing. And he tried to do his thing with the motion picture in a completely different direction than they went in. And uh, unfortunately, I guess um, his vision will never see the light of day. But, uh, you know, NBC gave it their best shot. Yeah, uh, I, I think I'm... But, Nick, sorry, I think I I'm in the... I think I'm in the majority, and I think you'll agree with me, that Glenn Larson is a uh, entertainment... And just a, a certifiable genius in terms of like the the being way ahead of his time. I mean, you think about uh, a car that talks and drives. We're only getting to that right now in technology in the real world. I mean, the guy created something in the 1980s, which was you know 30 years ahead, uh, 30 years ahead of its time. So to look at um, his uh, his pilot, for example, Night of the Phoenix, the storyline was great uh-huh. in terms of a cop that gets shot, left for dead. And then is ref, um, put you know put a new face on and then fights criminals with a, a super car. I mean, that that's genius if you ask me. I think that um, part of the reason that modern day storytelling feels uh, very paint by the by, paint by numbers is because in the '80s you didn't have the budget to rely on CG effects to fix a bad script. You know, nowadays it's like. Well, we have a weak script, but we can cover it up with all this great CGI candy and no one will care. It'll still make billions of dollars. And to some degree, unfortunately, that's true. Uh, But in the 80s, it was a lot more difficult to sell a project because you needed a story. You needed effects that supported the story because if the story was bad, no one would go. And that was a whole different generation of storytellers who really understood a three-act structure and uh, archetypes and um, all the elements you needed. The hero's journey, for instance. You know, so many great 80s movies follow these formulas that are tried and true. And in television, um, you know, a lot of it was driven by soap operas and a very... There are certain overtones in Knight Rider that are very soap opera-like, but they work. These are mechanics that work. Um, nowadays, it's all about uh, star power and visual effects, you know, and yep. the spectacle. It's less about the substance and more about the spectacle. And that's very much, I think, what the new Knight Rider was sort of geared on was the idea of Let's try this visual effect. Let's do this transformation sequence. Let's try to make Transformers on television. And that was entirely the different, the wrong direction to take Knight Rider because, one, your production budget spirals out of control. You know, visual effects are expensive. And, two, they weren't really necessary. You could have had Kit in the attack mode, and that would have served the purposes of the story. But then you've got sponsorship. To answer to, you know, and licensing on car brands and whatnot. 
So when you mix in, oh, I've got a piece Xbox and I've got a piece Ford and I've got a piece Shelby, it becomes muddled less about the story and more about the product placement. You know what I'm saying? And that can seriously affect a story because a studio is like, well, we have to do this and we have to do that. And it's not about telling a story anymore, guys. It's about investments. Movies aren't so much about storytelling as they are taking as as little risk as possible with as cheap a budget as possible. You know, they, it has to be something built in on a remake or a built in audience. And that's always bugged me because the riskier movies seem to appeal to me more because they try harder. Right. Uh, the first Pirates of the Caribbean was a standalone movie, and it was fantastic because they tried so hard to make it work without any expectation that it would get any sequels. And as the sequels came out, it seemed to get a little more mired and less solid as a standalone movie. So, uh, I mean, personally, Pirates of the Caribbean is one of my favorites as much as Night of the the Phoenix is my favorite solid Knight Rider movie because it could, and it did function as a standalone two-hour movie. You know, you you touch on um, Pirates of the Caribbean, and I've always felt, you just pretty much echoed my sentiments, I always felt that that movie in particular, I love the original, I thought it was great. Um, And then when you get to part two and part three, I always felt like when I was watching part two, which I went to see in the theater, it was like watching a gigantic preview trailer for part three. So part two was pretty much the setup for part three. And then when part three came out, I was underwhelmed by that. So I kind of felt like it just kind of got worse and worse. The quality went on. Then eventually part four came out. I mean, they could make part 20. I'll probably still go see them. Not really the point. But it's interesting how, you know, you have that fresh kind of take, this new thing, boom, here we go. And then once it gets more uh, mainstream attention and people say, wow, this is a hit, you know, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean is an enormous hit. Let's make, you know, sequel after sequel after sequel. You see the quality of these things, uh, you know, go down. As an example, oh. I'm, a huge fan, I'm a huge fan of uh, the Daredevil show that appeared on Netflix, you know. And then I'm, I'm hoping mm-hmm. that season two will be just as good as season one. But part of me always fears, like, oh, well, the expectations are so high that, you know, they're not going to live up to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I understand what you're saying. I personally, I'm a huge fan of Black Sails, and uh, I saw this really great series on TV called Into the Badlands by the creators of Smallville. Right. And uh, I'm hoping that gets a season two because that was a show that went in a completely different direction than any other kind of cookie cutter superhero show out there right now. With all due respect, I mean, every show has its strengths and, weakness, strengths and weaknesses, but I thrive on originality. Um, kind of sounds like I'm plugging the show, but it really is an awesome show. Uh, Miles Miller and Alfred Goff put it together, and they are uh, they understand storytelling. Uh, another really close friend of mine is Stephen E. DeSouza, who wrote Die Hard. Uh, oh, wow. And Commando. And oh, great uh, a lot of Both other of great, great Arnold movies. movies. Yeah, um, and The Running Man. And Oh, another uh, great movie. <laughs> on Twitter. But he, you know, he's from that generation where they understand how to make a villain who doesn't have to always be sympathetic and yet memorable. Like, you know, Hans Gruber was a bad guy, bad, there was no redemption to him, but he's such a fascinating, strong character because 
he enjoys villainy for the sake of villainy, you know. Right. Right. It's a whole different storytelling dynamic that I miss a lot. Um, but, you know, I'm not any kind of Hollywood expert or anything like that. I just love storytelling. I love solid storytelling. I, You know, I research Aesop fables and the Bible and, uh, you know, um, Hans Christian Andersen and, and the classic um, fairy tales. I love the animated Disney, the classic animated Disney movies. Right. But, uh, I don't want to get off on a tangent too much, but <laughs> that all no, kind of okay. speaks that's... to who I am as an artist and why Knight Rider appeals to me because it, it's not by any means perfect storytelling, but it is fascinating and fun to watch. When you watch Knight Rider, you have a great time, and uh, it's usually a pretty solid, pretty solid show, you know. I'm glad you reeled it back to Knight Rider because, like, it's very rare that I get to talk Knight Rider. And uh, when Dave and I get into it, he usually cuts me off. So I need to reel it back in and talk some more Knight Rider with you, Nick, because, again, you are the sure. expert, and um, I grew up watching it. Let me just say, I did read in your book, I believe, that there was a tight budget for Knight of the Phoenix where they, they only had one or two kit cars, and they couldn't really um, wreck them because the, – they were on such a tight budget, and you were speaking of budget, so I remember reading that somewhere that their first the, the pilots uh, ep- the, the pilot movie was on a, such a mm-hmm. tight budget, and they were so afraid to actually you know wreck the car. And um, that's one of the stories that I, I do recall. I believe reading in your book is that correct? Uh, yeah, so Night Rider started out as a twenty-minute presentation that Glenn put yep. together uh, to basically get the financing and the okay to make the movie, the rest of the movie. Um, so based on that 20, 20 minutes of footage, and it's all broken down in my book, uh, that he showed NBC, they gave him the green light. And it was at that point he had the budget to uh, re- to hire Michael Chaffee, who created the original kit, the Dash. Uh, the original nose was made by a guy named John Ward. Um, that's the... Um, that's the flatter nose with a higher up scanner. It's a lot thinner that you see in the episode. And then you notice that in some scenes, it changes to a different version, which is the nose that we're used to seeing. That's the one that Michael Chaffee made. And so they shot scenes with John Ward's nose, and then they went and did reshoots and added more footage with Chaffee's nose, which is why you see two different noses. Okay. And when you talk about Night of the Phoenix, I mean, my, one of my favorite scenes is um, when Michael walks into a black room, basically, and you see Kit's scanner light up, and then, you know, you hear the car um, starting up and then charge at him with uh, Edward Mulher, Devin Miles, you know, behind the wheel. Yep. Probably one of my favorite scenes of that movie. And then, you know, anything to do with, you know, w- whether they're breaking into Kit or something happened to Kit, like uh, Junkyard Dog, uh, Goliath 1 and 2, Kit versus Car, mm-hmm. a couple other ones that I remember, um, Custom Kit, um, all those type of episodes, those were the episodes that were really my favorite because they affected Kit in a, you know, showed that Kit was mortal and was, could be sure. broken, and I, I just love that part of the show. I just feel like other episodes towards the end of the series, especially season four, I think my least favorite episode is probably the last episode ever, and it was called, I think, Voodoo Night. I just, you know, mm-hmm. by then... The storylines were so bad, I thought. Uh, but can you just tell us, the audience, 
And uh, Pure Gold out there, uh, what what were your what were your favorite episodes and your least favorite episodes of Night Rider? Uh, okay, my favorite episode, uh, besides obviously the pilot, because you know that just goes yep. without saying. Yep. Right. Um, I love Kit versus Car. Okay. Uh, I really like. Um, I like Trust Doesn't Rust, which was the first Car episode written by. Yeah, episode Sally. three, right? Yep. Uh, it wasn't three. I think it was six. But I, that's why I wrote a book, so I don't have to remember okay. all this stuff twenty four seven. I love Soul Survivor because it really gave you an essence of of who Kit was. That he was more yep. than just microchips and uh, you know data. Um, of course, uh, many fans would agree that the last episode should have been the Scent of Roses. Starring uh, David Hasselhoff and his wife, Catherine Hicklin, as Stevie. Yep. Uh, that has a real sense of, of finality to it. Like, hey, Kit, we're going back to the foundation, you know. And yep. he takes off into the sunset on the beach. And, uh, you know, that's one of my favorites. Um, I really like Goliath. I like the idea that Kit met his match, although temporarily. Uh, the idea that Kit could be mortally damaged by someone bigger. Because, you know, Goliath is the antithesis of Kit. Yep. He's everything Kit isn't. He's big, he's bulky, he's gray, he's a slave to, to Garth. He doesn't have an AI. That's what made it. And that was written by Robert Foster, who was executive producer on most of Knight Rider. Uh, I, think, I believe he took over after uh, Sinadar passed away. Okay. And he brought in Don Peake to do all the music and stuff when uh, Stu had to leave um, with Glenn on Fall Guy. Least favorite, number one, Night Song. I just can't stand it. Nothing happens um, other than the new edition cameo. It's just it's a boring episode for me. Uh, I really hate Nobody Does It Better because that uh, detective lady's a really annoying character. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I believe that's when Kit uh, was driving around in the rain uh, against some kind of tow truck or something. I, I you know it's not one of my favorite episodes. Um, Voodoo Night, I, you know, I don't mind it as much as Night Song because at least in Voodoo Night you have some some Kit action going on. In yep. Night Song, nothing really happens. Uh. Let me I mean, you explain uh, you explain the explain how the exact opposite of um, Kit was uh, Goliath. What about the the genius writing and the people that thought of the fact that uh, Wilton Knight, who was this uh, crusader, obviously I'm quoting some of the stuff, a lone crusader, a crusader that wanted to help the uh, innocent people uh, that were operating with people above the law. Again, quoting, but the fact that. Mm-hmm. He actually recreated um, Michael Knight, Michael Long's face, in the the face of his son, who was actually a villain who ended up being yeah, you know, guard. Yeah. So how I mean, yeah. exp- how great was that in terms of just you know writing and just thinking how uh, down the line I could actually write a story where um, Wilton's son is going to take on Michael Knight. It's like good versus evil in in so many different ways. Yeah, I I think that Knight Rider actually hit a high point when they introduced Garth. Uh, I know that David Hasselhoff enjoyed the role to some degree, but it was also very exhausting for him, which is why he said uh, that he would only do it for two episodes, um, you know, parts one and two. Uh, 
So we got Goliath and we got Goliath Returns and that was it. But yeah. such a great character, especially the technology of the time to, to do that split screen acting against himself and make it feel like two entirely different characters. That really speaks to the talent of David Hasselhoff, who even today loves Knight Rider and uh, promotes it as much as he can. And, you know, uh, bless him for it because Michael Knight, I, in my opinion, when it comes to the eighties, Michael Knight is as, as important as, you know, like, um, Darth Vader, you know, I, he's he's up there in in the icons of history, along with Kit. A Kit car rolls down the street, most people turn their heads and know what it is. Yeah, yeah. Do you think, um, in terms of, um, I, I I think I know the answer to this because I've read your book. But uh, if you were to choose between the two people that uh, that actually fixed Kit during the show, who'd you who'd you prefer, April or Bonnie? The, not the actress per se, but the the character. Oh boy! Uh, You're gonna say oh, Bonnie. No, no. that's a holding, and 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 so I can't obviously can't go off of actresses. If I'm going strictly from the story standpoint, I think that Bonnie had a lot more time to know more about Kit uh, because April only came in for season two. Uh, but April had a lot of great ideas. But I I have to say that in terms of the longevity of of Kit's maintenance and the uh, amount of times that Kit had to be repaired, uh, I think Bonnie was a lot more familiar with his uh, with his structure and his history. I, yeah, I know that so. David Hasselhoff was fr- personal friends with uh, Patricia McPherson, and when she was let go, I believe for season two, he was really upset and glad to have her back for season three and four. Well, you know that's that showbiz uh, producers make odd choices and I'm glad that in the end uh the original team was allowed to stay together. Yeah, true. Uh did you go to um the Night Rider convention in 2012 by chance? Uh if you're talking about Night Rider reunion, I actually produced that. I co-produced it with my buddy uh Daniel Trejo Jr. of uh Knights of the West Coast. That was actually a cheap pop, Nick. I know you did. Uh, tell us the, the, that experience, <laughs> and tell us about great. the fans that, that you got to meet and uh, how great that experience was. Oh, man. Uh, well, it was definitely historic. Um, we had original – we had the semi – the computer from the semi there, the boomerang unit. Uh, I had the Kit's laser from Kit, uh, from Trust Doesn't Rust, just okay. the laser part of it. I had this silver sphere, just like this dome, which is a uh, glass decanter set, which was actually used in the movie Blade Runner. Uh, It was always sitting on the shelf in the semi, and that's a cool little Easter egg if you want to hunt for it. Just this silver dome, always sitting in the background. Uh, God, I had... it's overwhelming because as a Knight Rider fan, I really wanted to show uh, that I could produce an event that was about the fans and about Knight Rider. It wasn't about other star cars, even though other star cars were there. It was a celebration of all things Knight Rider. I called it a fan experience like no other uh, because it had props. It had stars. It had replicas. 
and had all these things all under one banner. And it was also done for charity for Children's Hospital Los Angeles. Um, we gave our proceeds from the raffle and the charity auction to them. We raised $4,000, which uh, was a really, you know, fantastic feat for them and a credit to the Knight Rider fans as a whole because Knight Rider fans are very uh, passionate about helping out charity with their cars, and especially Knights of the West Coast. We use our cars to help out with charity and go to comic conventions and, and there's nothing that compares to the smile on a child's face when they get to sit in kit or hear kit talk back to them. You know, it's priceless. Um, Night Rider Union was a fully licensed uh, Night Rider fan event. It was the only licensed event since the 80s when uh, there's only one other event, and that was something NBC did for uh, the show back back in the day. Uh, we tried to get David to come. Unfortunately, his schedule uh, couldn't uh, couldn't accommodate that. But we had as many people as we could get there, you know. Um, yeah. And uh, it was it was an incredibly expensive event. Uh, we had a VIP party at the Hard Rock Cafe on Universal City Walk. We rented out the whole second floor, and okay. uh, yeah, everyone just had a great time, you know, and. and it was a one-shot deal, and uh, you know, if I won the lottery or the Powerball or something, I, maybe I'd do another one. But um, you know, if you were there and you were a part of it, you're really a part of something. I pulled out all the stops. I did all the badge designs and poster design. Um, just you know, real my my posters actually hanging up in the offices of NBC. That's how much they liked it. Oh wow. You know what's funny is that, like, we're talking about Knight Rider here, and I'm not even an artist, but believe it or not, actually, Dave is an artist, and uh, if there's ever a person that you need with with artistic design, I mean, if you ever need somebody on the East Coast, because I know you're on the West Coast, I think Dave's your man, so it's it's good that uh, maybe, uh, you know, we've made a connection here, so uh, (laughs) I know Dave is definitely looking for uh, work in the, uh, uh, the artistry world, if you will, Dave. Yeah, artist oh, yeah. exactly what I what I would not call it, but uh, that, that's that's great, Joe. Thanks for thanks for that, that terribly cheap plug. Um, good stuff there, Joe. Yeah, my my producer's actually uh, talking in my ear. We do need to take a break, Nick. Now, um, sure. I definitely want to thank you. And, folks, we, we've been talking to Nick Nugent, who is the author of The Night Rider Companion. Um, we did talk before uh, earlier today, Nick, or online. Uh, you are a wrestling fan. So when we get back from the break, do you want to hang hang on and talk some wrestling with us, or do you need to go? It's up to you. Oh, no, I'm, I'm – yeah, sure. Absolutely. All right, then. With, yeah, with – Good. Thank you. With that said, uh, folks, we'll take a break, and we'll be right back with Nick Nugent. Hey, everyone. This is Brittany Don Brandon, Miss Arizona USA 2011, and Pure Gold is the best show on the radio. So make sure you tune in, check out the latest in entertainment, news, and sports. This is actress Jen Lilly telling you to tune in to Pure Gold Radio. Pure Gold brings you amazing guests, awesome interviews, and great talk radio every week. Check them out at puregoldpg.com. I'm Kristen Ledlow, Southeast Field reporter for Fox Sports Next, and you are listening to Pure Gold. 
I'm Lisa Mateo from the PIX11 Morning News in New York. Make sure you check out Pure Gold every week for the best talk radio around. All right, folks, we are back here at Pure Gold. We are talking to Nick Nugent from the author of The Night Rider Companion, All Things Night Rider, but, you know, good things. We will be talking about <laughs> wrestling because he's also a big wrestling fan. But before we take a break, before we, um, we go further, before we Nick, take another I just break. <laughs> I just wanted to ask you, uh, or just uh, ask you, how can fans reach out to you? How can they keep in touch? And what are you currently working on so uh, the fans know? Uh, okay. Um, you can find me on Twitter at, at KRCompanion. I'm also on Instagram at the same name. And you can follow my fan page for the Night Rider Companion, which is my book, uh, on Facebook. Um, you can get my book at Amazon, eBay, or order it off my official website at www.nightridercompanion.com. Uh, I'm vice president of a Knight Rider fan club uh, called Knights of the West Coast. Uh, our president, Daniel Trejalo Jr., uh, is in charge of it. You can find out more about our club and see our wonderful cars at www.knightsofthewestcoast.com. Um, as far as my current work, I'll just keep this very, very brief. I actually just uh, today got uh, a copy of the Knight Rider Volume 2 Night Strikes by Lionforge Comics and published by IDW. Um, I actually did the first two pages in the book, uh, pages two and three. So I'm um, pretty excited about that. It's got some great art by my buddy Jason Johnson, his artist, uh, Brian Denham. And uh, special thanks to my buddy Shannon Eric Denton for uh, allowing me to be a part of the book. And you guys and girls should really check it out. You can find it on Amazon or wherever comic books are sold. If you love Knight Rider, it's very much in the spirit of the show. Uh, I highly recommend you check it out. All right, Nick. I mean, great shout-outs, and uh, hopefully they're listening and uh Definitely um, anything you need to promote. And, if, again, you're always welcome here on Pure Gold. And we, we don't have to talk Night Rider anymore because I'm sure Dave would probably kick me off the show if we did talk anymore. <laughs> Rider, but we could definitely talk some wrestling right now. So um, did you catch uh, Monday Night Raw last night, Nick and Dave? Oh, uh, yeah, I did. You did, Dave? I, did. I actually yeah. did uh, for once, yeah. I'm actually, uh, I was uh, surprised myself by watching quite a bit of it. Uh, I've been pretty much like anti-wrestling and just not watching WWE for a while now. But, um, you know, with Jericho coming back and everything, and, of course, Sting being announced into the Hall of Fame, I was like, you know what, let me check this out. And, uh, you know, it wasn't the worst thing I've seen, let's put it that way. Well, I mean, that's my my first question to both of you guys, is the fact that, you know, we're we're on the road to WrestleMania. Royal Rumble is in a couple weeks, and uh, we know the whole setup where Roman Reigns is going to defend his title against uh, in the Royal Rumble against uh, 29 other guys. The the question, the first question I have though, because the story broke yesterday before Raw went on the air, was that Sting was going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. And my only question, I guess, for now to start with you guys is that I really thought this was the year that the Undertaker was going to be inducted, and for them to announce Sting as the first inductee. Um, I don't know if that's wrong, but I don't, I don't know if Undertaker's actually going to be inducted this year now. Um, what, are, what are your thoughts on, on Sting being inducted, and um, did, did you think that Taker was going to be the first guy that was going to be inducted this year? Do you want him to answer or am I going to answer? <laughs> no, no, you go, Nick. <laughs> Joe forgot to mention that. You go first. 
Nick, I find it very interesting that Sting is being inducted into the WWE when he only had two matches in the in the entire history of that particular company. But I understand they're taking it into account his uh, WCW exploits. Um, yeah, it's kind of sad that he lost both of his matches. Oh, geez. Maybe that was the price to get into the w, into the Hall of Fame. I don't know. Um, I certainly think Sting is deserves it. I think he's he's definitely paid his dues. Undertaker definitely deserves to be in there too, but I don't think. See, um, The Rock made a very interesting statement about the Hall of Fame. He says he doesn't want to. Uh, it him? Yeah, has The Rock been in the Hall of Fame yet? Just remind me. No, he inducted his father in the Hall of Fame several years ago, though. Yeah, he hasn't been in there. Okay, so he, I read this, this statement he made where he said he doesn't feel like he wants to be in the Hall of Fame because once you're in the Hall of Fame, you're sort of expected to retire. And he doesn't feel like he wants to retire yet. So that being said, uh, I don't think The Undertaker's quite ready to retire yet, and that's probably why he's not in there yet. Whereas Sting, uh, I think Sting has, I don't know if Sting's really had his last match, but you got to admit that his match against Rollins, he did pretty well, but I believe he got injured in that. And maybe there's something we don't know. Like maybe he's got an injury that's impaired him to do any more matches. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, those are the rumors going around that he did get hurt in that match. Um, well, clearly he did, but the fact that I think he needed some surgery, so who knows? I mean, Sting is not a young guy. You know, he's one of my all-time favorites. Definitely my my all-time favorite if you're talking about non-WWE uh, guys. If, you know, for the most part, his uh, WCW career, I would say he's oh, definitely that, the... Oh, what's that? Yeah, one of the... Uh, I really love that. Uh, oh, sorry, I didn't know course. on you. I mean, no, how could you not? I mean, you know, the the, the bleached blonde hair, the flat top, you know, the, the face paint and everything. I mean, he was, it's true what what they put in the video package yesterday. He really was the icon in there. He was the franchise of WCW. Yes, Ric Flair is is, is the one of the biggest things in wrestling history, of course. But Sting really carried it from a face perspective, from a good guy perspective. He carried that company. And, you know, his multiple title reigns in WCW, you know, he's just the type of guy that, it's just a stand-up guy. I, I am surprised, and I hated the fact, I know Joe agreed, I absolutely despise the fact that he lost his WrestleMania match to Triple H. The match made no sense with having him yeah. lose and making such a big deal about him coming in. Triple H did not need to win, so I'm thinking it was just a, hey, let's stick it to WCW and, you know, put, put one of our guys well, that's, over. That's exactly. It, it, it turned into basically WCW versus WWE, and you knew that WWE had to come out on top because there's no way that... Vince would allow WCW to seem like to have any kind of superiority over his brand. Right, right. I, agree with I, that. I honestly think Sting should have won that match, and maybe that was his last match, but, you know, give him that because he works so hard and he's such a talented guy, you know. Triple H has paid his dues, no doubt. But I, I agree, know, with, I agree just, with that, too. Sting the, is the uh, fact that, go ahead. Go ahead, Nick. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say the fact that Triple H didn't put Sting over to me is just uh, an ego. I don't know if that's Vince 
uh, ordering Triple H that he has to win the match because he has to stick it to WCW. So I don't know if all the blame goes on to Triple H with that. You know, it's really hard to say because obviously Vince is the one who calls all the shots. I mean, the buck stops with him. Um, but the match started. The match started out so great until all the interference had to happen. You know, I just wanted a clean match between Triple H and Sting, so we could get a definitive winner. And yep. whoever won, fine, but at least they could, you know, embrace and, and sh- or shake hands. And you got your money's worth. But then it just turned into that s- stupid melee thing where, you know, whatever. It, it is what it is, right? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Is, is there any reason why you don't think we, at, at the Royal Rumble, why all of a sudden... Roman Reigns is defending his title in the Royal Rumble. Like, my thought, the the progression that I thought with the storyline was that Triple H was actually going to be fighting Roman Reigns for the title, but now he's he's not. So is there any reason why you think that that hasn't happened, Dave? Um, You know, it, honestly, I'm not sure. I don't understand the purpose of it. I think that if Roman – and I'm not a Roman Reigns fan, but I think if they're going to try to book this guy as, like, this amazing world champion and they're going to have him win the Royal Rumble – after defending it with you know against everybody, it makes no sense because then how does he have a where's the number one contender? Who is he going to fight? Now if Roman loses it, and then he's got to you know get a title shot in February and then go at Mania, then that that kind of makes more sense than Vince trying to screw him over. Um, I think they make it too blatantly obvious when they do what they did last night with that whole you know one versus all or whatever it was. Um, sure. You know I, I I'm not. WWE booking always kind of confuses me, but, um, you know, the fact that Brock went in there and wanted them to switch it back to the original setup for the Royal Rumble where Brock would win and then go up. I mean, I want Brock to win regardless. I just don't if, – if Reigns wins it, obviously it's cements him as being the first guy to ever do it. Flair won the vacant title, but nobody has ever defended the title in the Rumble. Um, but my question now becomes, is the Rumble going to be four hours long? Because the whole pay-per-view was always – you know, several matches, the title match, and then the Rumble. Now it's just, well, the title match is gone, so here comes the Rumble. So is it just going to be like a three-hour pay-per-view of the Royal Rumble with like 90 guys in it? Well, if you recall, um, the last Royal Rumble, which I believe Reigns won, it, it the pay-per-view almost ended early, and it seemed like they sent The Rock out there to try and not only to try to, to stretch the pay-per-view out, but also because everyone was pissed off that that Reigns won in the way that he did. Right. And the fans booed The Rock. Uh, yeah, so they brought The Rock out there because they figured, well, they, they won't boo The Rock. And then The Rock's trying to put Reigns over and validate his win or whatever. Um, if Reigns... If Roman Reigns defends the title in the Royal Rumble and he still wins it, then... There is no number one contender other than Brock to right. challenge him at WrestleMania. So right. it's, but then you got to wonder. So okay, let's say he loses, right? Let's just right. say, for instance, uh, Triple H is in the Rumble and he wins. Okay, so then Triple H goes up against Brock at WrestleMania. So they've already changed the whole dynamic of whoever wins the Royal Rumble gets the shot at the champion. Because if you win the Rumble and you're the champion, then you're already the champion. Right, right. So I'm thinking, I'm how thinking is all this going to play out? 
I'm thinking at the February pay-per-view, they're going to crown the new number one contender. It's the only thing that I can think of, the only thing that makes any sense. Or, well, no, yeah, because nothing – if they did a match before the Rumble to crown a number one contender, then it makes no sense because then that person can just enter the Rumble and win it. So they'd have to crown the number one contender at the next pay-per-view. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a very weird risk that they're taking. Yeah, I mean, we have to see. I mean, Vince's logic sometimes is only logical to to Vince, um, so we'll have to see where the storyline goes. The only other note of Raw last night was Kalisto actually winning the the U.S. title over Alberto Del Rio, which was interesting. Um, but just real fast on Hall of Fame, because now I start doing fantasy booking. I, I was thinking about two people that uh, I want to get your thoughts on inducting these two people in the Hall of Fame this year. Uh, Owen Hart, who actually has a new DVD that just came out this year, I thought would be a perfect inductee for the Hall of Fame this year. And I thought that Lemmy, in terms of the entertainment wing, because there's an entertainment wing of the Hall of Fame, uh, the, the, sure. the lead singer of Motorhead would be a good inductee for the Hall of Fame. So uh, what do you think, Nick, uh, about those two people induct- being inducted this year, Owen and Lemmy? I'm pretty sure that Triple H is going to push Lemmy, which I think is great because Lemmy was a, a musical genius and and uh, very wonderful wonderful uh, musician. Uh, Owen Hart? Doesn't his widow have like control over his whole like estate and, and uh, publicity and whatnot? Because I remember reading something about she refuses to let them induct Owen Hart into the into the Hall of Fame. She's the yeah, only reason why before. he hasn't been inducted into the Hall of Fame. Good. I've heard the same thing. No, I've heard the same thing, and now that they but. But I guess the fact that they have the DVD and she, Martha would own the rights to that, I'm guessing, um, yeah. you know, that happened. So it's kind of a, a plus in the positive direction. And I think eventually it'll happen. Um, I mean, I think Owen deserves to be in there. I think that we kind of over, you know, I think he, he definitely was a great wrestler. I think his 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 greatness kind of gets blown out of proportion because of the way he died and, and the Hart family and everything else. And I'm not I'm not trying to knock him. But I don't think he's as great as, as we've all kind of made it out to be. I do think he belongs in the Hall of Fame. I mean, at this point, like Joe has made this point many times, and it's his big thing. If Okobi wears in the Hall of Fame, then everybody should be in the Hall of Fame. That's a whole other side note. Because, I mean, you talk about somebody who is, you know, good good gimmick, but I don't think Hall of Fame when I think of him. You know, we, we are going to talk about the Baseball Hall of Fame later and whatnot, and the WWE Hall of Fame is not like they have guys voting and convinced in a room, you know, with Triple H probably talking about who should get in and who shouldn't. So, you know, it, it should definitely be interesting. I'd like to see what the rest of the class looks like. And, you know, eventually I'm curious as to when Taker will get inducted. So, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, just off the top of your head, guys, is there anyone that you think of that should be inducted this year that you feel besides, you know, I, like I said, I think Lemmy and Owen um, – should be inducted this year, especially after that DVD was released, uh, Hearts, Heart of Gold, I think it was called, and just let me, because, you know, Triple H was such a good friend of his, uh, did so many songs for the WWE. Um, is there anyone that you could think of, Nick, that you would want inducted this year? I honestly don't remember everyone who's been inducted already. Oh, okay. Uh, has Edge been inducted? Yeah, he was inducted like the year that he retired, which is yeah. I mean, you know, okay. in baseball you have to wait five years and different. You know, you have to wait. Well, like, obviously, he wants so the media. 
Right, of course, at some point. Uh, but I don't think The Rock wants to be in there yet, so that's likely not to happen. Uh, I would agree with that. I, you know what, Diamond Dallas Page, I'd love oh, to see him one. in there. Definitely. Huge Diamond Dallas Page fan. Uh, How about you, Dave? Anyone, anyone you can think of, Dave? Is Jericho in there yet? Uh, no, Jericho oh, is still he's still pretty active, so he's not in there. I mean, he definitely belongs in there. I would say, eventually, Kane's gonna get in there. Um, I would put Christian in there. I'm trying to think who else would should definitely be in the Hall of Fame. I'm actually looking here. It says Donald Trump's in the Hall of Fame, which is mind-boggling. Celebrity but, thing, and um, they have Tyson yeah. in there already too. Yeah, exactly. I'm looking at uh, Edge and Eddie Guerrero on here. You know, uh, you know, DDP is definitely a good one. Um, obviously, Hogan's already in there. Brett's in there. I mean, Savage yep. is in there. The biggest names in wrestling history really are in there. So at this point, it becomes a matter of like a Steve Austin, who's probably never wrestling again. Um, oh, is Steve already, already in, there? in it? He's already in there, right? I believe. So. I think Steve is already in. Yeah, it. I, I think you're right. I'm trying. I'm. I'm just thinking of like the main guys in like the '90s and stuff. I mean, is Shawn Michaels Nash, in there yet? Yeah. Shawn Michaels was inducted in there. Yeah. I mean, you know, okay. he's definitely. In Sean should of, be inducted in there four or five times, I'd say. Yeah, in terms of tag teams, do you, I don't recall if the Dudleys or Demolition are in the Hall of Fame. Uh, the Dudleys are not in the Hall of Fame, and I, they will, they'll get in there eventually, definitely. Um, I, I'd say the Hardys are probably going to get in there eventually, too. Kurt Angle, you know, at some point when they all reconcile with the WWE, I'd say they probably all get in there also. I How would about love to see Kurt in there. Kurt was, yeah. Kurt was yeah. fantastic. That's true. They might but, not uh, put him in there though because of his ties to TNA and being in their T and their Hall of Fame. But then I think Sting was also in their Hall of Fame. So oh yeah, he was their first yeah. inductee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, Jeff Jarrett, but demolition. there's a good yeah. one for you, Jeff Jarrett. Ah, yeah. yeah. I I doubt they ever. I, I don't think they put Jeff in there just because of all the problems they had when he left. Um, maybe at some point, but I don't I don't see that happening anytime soon. I, I could be wrong, of course. Well, he's got the rival wrestling organization that he's doing, but, uh, you know, if you were to ask me, clean and clear, I think Jeff Jarrett absolutely believes, uh, deserves to be in there. He, he, between all the companies he's worked for, that man's just full of talent. So is AJ Styles. Speaking of AJ, Joe and I were talking about something interesting. AJ, what I would do, this is just me. If you want to make an impact, if you want to make a name, AJ, you know, recently they talked about him coming and signing over with the WWE. What I would do is, yeah. I, since, since the Royal Rumble is going to be for the title, I would actually have AJ enter, make a surprise entrant, you know, entry. I'd have Samoa Joe enter as well. But I'd actually have AJ win the title, which would be amazing because nobody's ever won their the WWE title in their first match. Um, have him win it and then lose it the next month at the following pay-per-view and then, you know, figure out a way to do a number one contender. But just to kind of shock the world to do something crazy, something that's probably never going to be done again, have somebody like AJ win the belt at the Royal Rumble. Well, if I was to make a prediction on where the storylines are going, I think that Roman Reigns is basically Daniel Bryan. It's the same angle as Daniel Bryan, the underdog. Um, We got to remember that Brock Lesnar was never pinned to lose his title. Yep. And Roman Reigns was pinned by Seth Rollins to lose yep. for Brock to lose Absolutely. his title. We know that Brock is gunning to get his title back, and I 
honestly believe that Brock's going to get his title back. I don't know if it's going to be a WrestleMania win or not, but I believe he's destined to get that title back. And he came back for a reason. I don't think he came back to just be a jobber. (laughs) Uh, So Roman Reigns has got his work cut out for him. Whether or not Triple H takes it, but you know, we could have a great curveball and Bray Wyatt wins the Royal Rumble. I think if there's one person who deserves to be pushed, Bray Wyatt would be an awesome choice. And he would go on to face maybe Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania at that point? I mean, I don't know who he's facing. It'd be a match we haven't seen before, right? Yeah. That's true. I can't imagine them main eventing WrestleMania, at least not at this point with Bray, but I know they have kind of been pushing the Wyatt family and having them get so many wins over the Dudleys, et cetera, et cetera, and, you know, finally make them a little bit more credible because they lost so many matches over the course of their WWE career. Um, I think that's interesting. What about you, Joe? What do you think? At this point, with all the injuries that um, with the, all the injuries that the WWE has faced, with John Cena just recently going out, you know, the big injury to uh, to Cesaro and his shoulder, and even Seth Rollins, who dropped had to drop the title in November because of the injury to his knee, I think that they're they're scrambling right now to get people back to watching again and. I, I think that the having Triple H, I mean having Roman Reigns defend the title in the Royal Rumble itself, to me is not a a good way to get the fans back into it. I think it's a it's a shock move more than anything. I think I think it should sure. have been Triple H versus Roman Reigns for the title at the Royal Rumble to be uh, you know one on one as opposed to as uh, you know as to the Royal Rumble being defended in there. So I don't like well, the fact that. You know, go ahead. Here's an idea. In order to build, uh, you know, Reigns versus Triple H does not have to be a title match, be a match, right? So it could very well play out that Reigns is about to win, and the which would give Reigns plenty of uh, vindictive reason to go after Triple H, who is, of course, the head of the authority, and blame Triple H or losing his championship, for whatever reason, you know, whatever you want to call it, run in. Because as as I remember, even a, a contender who gets eliminated can still, for some oddball reason, crawl back into the ring and eliminate somebody else. Yeah, that's... Which is just the weirdest thing, but they can, <laughs> they just like run down, right? They run down and they get in there and... It doesn't matter who throws you over the top rope, whether they've been eliminated or not, you can still get eliminated. Right. So I would not put it past Triple H to have Roman Reigns practically clear the ring, and then all of a sudden here comes all the authority people and Sheamus and whatever coming into the ring and forcing Roman over the top. Yeah. Which would be a big screw job, but that's what the WWE is all about, right? So. That's true. It's not inconceivable to think it could go that way. You're right. And, you know, we could spend hours upon hours as wrestling fans fancy booking, and that's the problem. What what happens is our storylines make more sense than what the WWE does, I personally think. And we get into this fancy booking, and then we get what, tri- what Triple H and Vince McMahon come up with, and you just get frustrated at the storylines and the products. So, uh I, I just want to say that, you know, I do appreciate hanging in there, Nick, and talking wrestling with us. We do have to, well, uh, unfortunately, get it. Not unfortunately, but we have to get into some baseball <laughs> talk. So uh, we definitely want to thank you for coming on. You, you spent a good portion of the show on our show today, and uh, we definitely thank you for that. Oh, I, hey, I had a great time. I'll, I'll be happy to come back 
another time. Talk wrestling Producer, or whatever. It was great. Definitely. And producers tell me that your birthday is Monday, so you have a happy and a healthy birthday that's coming up Monday. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. It was a pleasure uh, just hanging out with you guys. You know, I love I love just just uh, talking shop and having fun. You know, that's what makes life interesting. Yeah, I know Dave was a little skeptical at the beginning, but I know that you're definitely a uh, pure gold honorary member. So uh, anytime you want to come back on the show, we'll definitely talk about it and uh, get you back on. Well, thank you very much, guys. Uh, I wish you luck with the baseball talk. Uh, unfortunately, that's way out of my uh, interest level. But uh, hey, man, uh, I'll leave you. I'll leave you to it. And uh, th- thanks again. Uh, Really appreciate the exposure for Knight Rider. Uh, anyone who doesn't know about Knight Rider, pick up my book, KnightRiderCompanion.com, and uh, I catch you guys later. There you go, Thanks Nick. So it's much. been truly a pleasure. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Bye bye. You too. Bye. All right, folks. That was Nick Nugent, sir. I know, like uh, we've been talking about Knight Rider when way back when the show started, and you know we make fun of me when when I said about season one being canceled and and how um, you know how I can't stand the fact that uh, Knight oh, Rider okay. has been canceled before season one. So it was great to have Nick Nugent, who has a lot of experience with Knight Rider. He actually wrote the book, The Knight Rider Companion, and actually was able to talk some wrestling. So a really good guy. No, definitely good stuff. And speaking of making fun of you. Uh, I gotta I gotta chime in on this. This is something that I wanted to talk about last week. I actually wanted to dedicate the entire show to this, but of course, in typical PT fashion, we didn't even, we didn't even touch on it. Um, the, you know, there's a picture that I got recently via text message on my phone, and it was from one Giuseppe Bacino, and it's a picture of two. I mean, this is like the saddest, just strangest thing I've ever seen. Two cases with belts in them, and I've got to know. The pure gold audience, the millions in attendance, the millions listening at home, how in the world do you have, first of all, two title cases, number one, first question. Second question, how is it that you, you're able to have a spouse who puts up with this and I believe bought them for you as a Christmas gift? And my third question is, when I look at the order of the belts, first of all, the intercontinental title is way out of place in that case, and you have the two W titles kind of on top of each other, and that bothers me because what, they're not in any sort of order. I would have put one in one case, one in the other, but just, just just touch on that if you could, just for the next hour or two. Let's just talk about this case there. <laughs> All right. Before, I mean, there is actually some logic to it. The reason why you have uh, the Intercontinental title um, on the third shelf of the second case is because if you look across <laughs> the, on the third shelf, you'll see the Winged Eagle. So back in the 80s, the, the Intercontinental title and the Winged Eagle are on the same line. The network title, which is on the top because that's the current title, right below that is the, um, the what they call the scratch logo. And if you look across from there, you'll see the big gold from the WWE. So when you combine the scratch logo plus the um, the world heavyweight title, WWE style, you get the network logo. So there are reasons, and um, you know, I'm sure that you're really spinning your head now thinking about that I actually made some logic in terms of how I placed these belts um, and believe it or not, the TNA title is on the bottom only because it doesn't fit on the other shelves, which is really a nice title if you look at it. No, it's definitely a nice title. I just, I'm just dumbfounded how you know you convinced Andrew to marry you. That, that that's the thing that gets me. That, that's what it all boils down to. When you told me you had a case, and I just showed it to my mom today. My mom's been away for a few weeks, and I had to show her this picture, and she was like, "What the hell is this?" And sure enough, she saw it. She saw 
the title, and she, she just couldn't believe it. I mean, she was probably more disgusted than I was. But, I mean, if I had something like that in my house, knowing her, she would just take a, a sledgehammer, Triple H style, and just, uh, you know, burn it to the ground. But, you know, I just saw this, and I'm like, wow, this guy is really absolutely nuts with these titles. And, um, again, I, I, just the reason I, I've always thought the Intercontinental, these are all heavyweight titles, and the Intercontinental titles is kind of there. I'm looking at it now, right, and I see you've got the the NWA title. I mean, you have you have the big gold on here twice. Uh, you have the actual WCW one, and then you have the raw version of it, which is rounder. It's just, yep. it's just weird to me because you've got the two scratch logos, which are almost identical you know, at the top. You've got the NWA, which I, I absolutely hate the NWA title. It's such an ugly belt um, across to the side. You may as well just put the European title up there anyway, just as a side note. Yeah, you know, it makes sense to have the Eagle and the, and the Intercontinental because they're the same era. But then you've got, the, you know, the the one right after that, which um, I forget what that one's called. Uh, you've got the Undisputed title down there, the TNA title. And it just kind of seems like a big old, you know, the fact that you have two titles that look the same, four titles that technically look the same just kind of, you know, drives me off a wall, so. Well, here I'm thinking like I'm doing something actually, um, you know, good and uh, displaying my my gold and you know making it a pure gold studio and hopefully uh, you'll visit my house, you know, one of these centuries. And I thought yeah. that this would be the perfect time to get you here to actually check out the the, the belt display. But apparently you uh, you hate me even more now and uh, you loathe me. Well, the problem with the belt is, it, is that glass or is that plastic? No, it's glass. <laughs> the problem with the is when you hear the glass, it's just. <laughs> I want to go. To, I want to go to this, and I want. Hey, Joe, can you show me this? What's this? And then just like smash you through it, like you know, barbershop style, and super kick you through the other one, <laughs> and just walk out with it. Our for the Heartbreak Kid music playing because that would be amazing, sir. I just have to touch on that because I'm looking at the picture now, and it just it makes me sick. Well, thank you. I mean, I appreciate the sentiment. <laughs> yeah, no, no problem, sir. Anytime, anytime. So before it gets to be like 3 a.m., let's definitely talk about the Hall of Fame, the other Hall of Fame, the Baseball Hall of Fame, where finally, definitely maybe our boy Possibly. Mike Piazza was actually inducted to the Hall of Fame. It took him, I think, three tries, two or three tries, I believe. Is that correct? Four. This is the fourth year. Oh, wow. Jeez. Yeah. Four tries to get yeah. in. What what I what I want to touch upon before you get chime in is the fact that Mike Piazza is only the second Met to ever be inducted into the Hall of Fame, and he chose the Mets over the Dodgers because he you know came up with the Dodgers. Um, I found that very interesting, and I, I really um, like the fact that he's going in as a Met. Obviously, definitely, maybe. Give me your thoughts uh, when you heard the news, and um, any other thoughts about the Hall of Fame? Well, I was excited about it. I mean, you know, obviously, I'm a big Mets fan. Uh, somehow, for some reason, I still like this team. But having Piazza in there, as, as like you said, the second Met, I mean, the way the Hall of Fame sees it, every team you played for has a part of that plaque, but, you know, obviously you're talking going in with the, with the plaque and the Mets logo. I think it's awesome because Piazza and Steve are two of the greatest baseball players of all time. Um, you know, this isn't just like, wow, this guy was a great Met, but no, literally two of the best at their position ever. You know, before before this last week, you know, Seaver had the highest percentage of, you know, votes. And, you know, Piazza getting 83%, you know, awesome stuff. I mean, you know, the, the fact that idiots like John Heyman didn't vote for him in other sports areas, I just don't understand how you don't vote for a guy who put up those numbers. There's no real suspicion of drugs. I mean, there's no legitimate accusations. I mean, you know, there was accusations, accusations about, you know, his 
his um, you know, proclivities and his, you know, innuendos about certain his preferences. But you know, one thing that's always gotten me is that I mean, it took four years. He should have been to me. He should have been a first ballot. But then again, when you know you hear Mike talk about how guys like Joe DiMaggio took like three tries to get into the Hall of Fame. I mean, I guess everything's fair game. You know, Ken Griffey Jr. is a great baseball player, one of the greatest ever. Had the sweet swing, the kid, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I mean, Piazza should have already been in there. I love the fact that he's going into Matt. Apparently, the Hall of Fame still picks for the, they still make the final decision, but um, I guess the player weighs in on it, and Piazza chose the Mets. I know that. He had a kind of a bitter breakup in uh, Los Angeles. Things didn't go over well from everything that I've read. But, um, you know, he spent the, the majority, not the majority, he spent more time as a man, more years, uh, more games, more home runs, more RBI, everything. The only thing that really overall numbers-wise was better in L.A. was his batting average. Um, but aside from that, I mean, he's definitely a man. He went to the World Series with the Mets, his only World Series appearance. So to me, Piazza definitely should have gotten into the Met, and I, you know, I just thought it was great. So I was, I was pretty excited, and sadly, that's going to be the best thing to happen to the Mets this off season. <laughs> that's probably the biggest, like we said, that's probably the biggest news that the Mets had this off season was, was Mike Piazza making the Hall of Fame. And you touch upon John Heyman, and I listened to him on Joe, but Joe Tom. Beningo and Evan Roberts' show, and his rationale behind not voting for Mike Piazza because he didn't vote for Mike Piazza was that he actually compares people's stats to different positions. So he doesn't look at, like, the the best catchers of all time and who should be inducted. He actually compares Mike Piazza to a third baseman or to a first baseman. And I don't understand how you can actually do that when a catcher breaks down much faster than any other position player. Absolutely, but that doesn't even make sense. How do you – so when you go and sign players, you know, just, just let's talk about you know, putting a team together. And I realize that that's not what you're doing with the whole thing, but – you know, let's say you have a great third baseman. You're going to go out and sign another third baseman? No, you're going to sign a different position. Positions are all different. You can't you can't put Bill Mazeroski. It's a joke that he's in, by the way, his numbers. But he was a second baseman. You can't put his numbers up against, you know, a, a third baseman. But the numbers just don't stack up. They don't, they don't even make sense because, you know, there's certain positions like the corners. Uh, you know, even the outfield, you expect power from certain positions. You don't expect power, expect power from other positions. So to me – it makes no sense, and it's just stupid because that that logic has so many holes, and it's ridiculous. You're gonna compare a catcher, a great, you know, guy who pulled 425 home runs, 427 to be exact, and you're gonna compare him with like a center fielder. How? Yes. Well, Nobody speaking of center like fielder. That. Yep. And speaking of center fielder, that's a good segue. What I uh, here's another person that to me should have received 100 percent of the votes was uh, the kid. Ken Griffey Jr. making the Hall of Fame this year, too. And uh, you, you listen to some of these people that have actually the power to vote for these guys, and the rationale is that if Babe Ruth didn't get 100% of the votes, then why should somebody like Ken Griffey Jr.? But Ken Griffey Jr. was everything He was everything that was right about the sport. Uh, he, I don't think he ever, he ever did any PDs. He was a, a great guy, uh, had the pure, perfect swing as, as um, some, you know, some players – yeah, they're jealous to have. I mean, the guy was just great defensively, um, uh, but again, he didn't get 100% of the vote, and that's just so stupid to hear that kind of stuff because Ken Griffey Jr., to me, is a no-doubter, 100%. I agree. I guess nobody's ever going to get 100%. But when I, the thing is, when I look at the, the Hall of Fame and I look at the fact that these writers have all this power and they pretty much, you know, purposely, and I do mean purposely, um, they take – vendettas out against people. You know, like yep. what I showed you about Albert Bell. Albert Bell has these amazing numbers. Ten years, he was awesome. 
one of the best players on the planet still to this day, the only 50-50 player in, in history. And, you know, this guy was purposely not put into the Hall of Fame because the writers hated him and because he had such a bad relationship with him. Jim Rice took Jim Rice 15 tries. He got in his last try when he went in with uh, Ricky Henderson because the writers hated him because he wouldn't agree an interview. See, that's the type of stuff that, that shouldn't exist in baseball. If you don't yep. like a guy, that shouldn't that should not be the reason that you're not going to vote for him. As a matter of fact, Bill Madden of Newsday said that, you know, with, with Bell, because I did my research on this, this long quote about the fact that, you know, the writers would remember the way he treated them on, you know, when it came to induction time, and they did because his, his level was so low that, you know, he's, he was off the ballot almost immediately, which is unheard of. Yep. Ridiculous even for a guy with his numbers, and that's the way that, that type of petty stuff shouldn't exist, sir. I thought of, um, as you were talking, I thought of one person – that should actually receive 100% of the vote. And the guy is a great guy. He's the best at his position of all time. And um, he was never had any problems with the media. He was no Albert Bell or whoever else was a malcontent. But, sir, uh, is, can you guess? I'll give you one guess because we're running short on time. Give me one. Per, give me the person that I'm thinking of that should receive 100% of the votes. It's, it's pretty obvious. I would say uh, Kevin McReynolds. Very good. I mean, and that that's the end of the show, folks. No, just kidding. <laughs> it's actually no, number 42 of the New York Yankees, the closer. Mariano I mean, that guy, yeah, yeah, that guy, that guy, if he doesn't receive 100% of the votes as a Hall of Famer, as the best closer ever to live, then uh, you're right. Nobody will ever receive 100% of the vote. Yeah, I mean, I could see, you know, Jeter not getting 100% of the vote. I mean, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> It doesn't make sense that, you know, these guys take these vendettas out and all. I, I get it. Babe Ruth didn't get 100% of the vote. Nobody should. But at the same time, like, come on, you know, he wasn't even the highest voter. It, it's, it's stupid to me. It is. Um, my only nugget that I have, because the football players are the football players, whatever, you know, you had Kansas City, Pitt, Seattle, and Green Bay advance. Next week we could talk, if we have some time, talk about some football players, because next week is probably the best uh, this weekend coming up is probably the best weekend for football. You got the divisional playoffs. You got four games: two on Saturday, two on Sunday. That leads to the championship game. But uh, today is sadly Wait, the. Still on? Are you sure? <laughs> yeah. Speaking of football on your side, uh, I don't know if you heard or if you have any thoughts on uh, Coach Coughlin interviewing for the Philadelphia Eagles and I believe the San Francisco 49ers. I mean, if he becomes a coach of the Eagles or the 49ers, do you have any ill will towards what the Giants did to Tom Coughlin? Um, I'd say with this right here. Go to hell! <laughs> Very good. Today, sadly, is the, the the 47th anniversary of the Jets' Super Bowl, only Super Bowl victory, uh, Super Bowl three. So back on January 12, 1969, the uh, Jets won the Super Bowl. <laughs> That's amazing. It was Super Bowl 50. And the, Jets, the Jets haven't even been to a Super Bowl. That's the only Super Bowl no. they ever went to, correct? Yeah, they're they're undefeated at the Super Bowl, 1-0. <laughs> <laughs> Jets going to hell. I have I have a total side note question of you, sir. Yeah, um, and this is to kind of go back to um, this is to kind of go talk football. But you know, apparently yeah. the owners approved the Rams to move to Los Angeles. Can you explain why the hell? And this is something that's always baffled me for years. Why do they insist on having a football franchise in Los Angeles when they when they don't work? I mean, it, it just it, they keep leaving and coming back. What's the point? Like, why do they have to be in Los Angeles? That's a good question. I don't know why teams leave Los Angeles and then come back to they want to go back to it. Um, I, I can't explain that one. Good question. Um, 
if we get any football experts on, that's probably one of our first questions is, and it seems like, you know, it's always the Rams that want to go back to Los Angeles. Yeah, exactly. You know? It makes no sense. It's happened so many times, and I just don't understand it. It doesn't work in Los Angeles. Let it go. Move on. Like, seriously, it doesn't make sense to me. Nope, doesn't make sense to me either. So, uh, holy cow, it's it's an hour and a half, and we've we've talked about pretty much everything, anything. I mean, between Night Rider, football, the Hall of Fame, both baseball and wrestling, a um, couple nuggets, and um, you know, if you watch some football, which you probably didn't this weekend, they actually started playing trailers or commercials for Batman versus Superman, which is coming out on March 25th. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. That should definitely be interesting, sir. I actually kind of can't wait to see what happens with that and I, I still don't think it's going to be good but you know we'll, we'll see Sam. We, we'll definitely see I'd want to go see it but I don't know about going to see it on Good Friday <laughs> sadly um, no I would I would definitely not <laughs> not go on Good Friday um, but I do think that it's it's worth going to the movies to watch we should, as a matter of fact this is you know not a joke I think we should go see it together sir to be honest with you I think we should I know. We, check it out we talked about, yeah we talked about it last week we'll definitely do that and if you want to get Hans involved uh, the three of us should go no, uh, as far as that goes, I mean, you know, as far as getting him involved, I would just say, uh... Go to hell! <laughs> <laughs> Sir, i got to get up in a few hours, so uh, oh, let's do another show next oh, week. Oh, oh. Uh, I'm really what, enjoying what this. What do you have to get up for? I mean, please do. No, wait, no, 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 wait a second. No, wait a second, Dave. Wait, Dave, Dave. First of all, wait a second. First of all, wait a second. Wait a second, David, for a second. Let me... Wait a second. What's the name of your show? Uh, Pure Gold. Pure gold. Yes, sir. I got two words for you. Pure <laughs> gold. You guys are awesome. Yes, we are, Nikki. Absolutely, folks. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to Nick Nugent for, uh, you know, son of Ted Nugent for coming on. Really appreciate him talking Night Rider for four hours. Uh, Joe, again, <laughs> always love the guests you get. I remember when you got, um, I forget the guy, but the guy who won, like, the 2005 World Series of Poker. I mean, just, just, just fascinating stuff, I got to tell you. Um, always appreciate having guests on here. It's been a long time since we've had anybody, so thank you so much. Make sure you tune in next week or, you know, three months from now or nine months from now when we do our next show. As always, it's been a pleasure. Joe, uh, have a good night, sir. You too. Good night, everyone. Woo!